When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson, and for the first time in a little while, he's finally finished his round of pickleball to be able to join us for an episode on the podcast. Andre Fernandez, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm so physically tired after this new hobby that uh, some people some people are into it. Some people uh, that haven't tried it, you know, tease me about it, but don't knock it till you try it. It's quite the workout. It's fun. You can do it with friends. It's not, you know, pretty much the, I know anybody could play it, but at the same time, it is a good workout. And, and, uh, trust me, it's, it, it, it can get a little addicting out there. You probably, once you play it, you want to keep on and I can see why it's, uh, become a big deal. But anyway, no, but that's not what I've been doing, but that's not what I've been doing in the two months or so that I haven't been on the show. No, but I just, we got it before we, um, before we end everything, what is it about pickleball that makes it so enticing, addicting, whatever it is? Just, I think you're all. I, I think because of the fact that, like, if you always wanted to be like a tennis player or something like that, this at least is like a way that it's not so daunting for someone that for people maybe that aren't the most athletic that want to try something. And then it's all it's a game that's in constant motion too. Like, there's no breaks. Like you're moving around the court. You're changing where you serve every two seconds. I mean, that's the fun part of it. And you know, I mean, with me, I'm lucky because I have a few friends that I've you know kind of like they all do it and and got me into it some some of whom the audience knows like a former a couple of former colleagues of ours walter via manny navarro yes i'm gonna put them on blast so yeah all right so you, so that's why all right so that ends the pickleball segment of this podcast now yeah thankfully what, now into what everybody listens to this podcast about the miami marlins yeah. Yeah, the, 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 come on. We, you know, in the past we could we could we could do some filler time on pickleball because the Marlins was, you know, they were they were bad. They sucked. People were even even the diehards were a little bit like, okay, now now people want to hear about the Marlins because the Marlins are kicking ass and, and and doing well. Yeah, I mean, you said, I mean, we're officially at the All Star break, and the Miami Marlins they're at fifty three and thirty nine in the season. They've won fourteen games over five hundred. Currently, the top wild card spot in the National League. The record by total wins is the most wins in franchise history heading into the All-Star break. Their record by win percentage is the second best behind only that 1997 team, which, if I remember correctly, did do pretty well by season's end. And then, obviously, we've, as I talked about last episode, there's the clear gap still between the team directly above them in the Atlanta Braves and everyone else that they played Again, Miami's one and nine against the Braves, but that also means they're fifty-two and thirty against everybody else that they've played so far. Yeah. Uh, they're nineteen, and that includes a nineteen and fourteen record against non-Braves teams that have a winning record at the All-Star break. Again, four and two, four and two against Arizona, four and two so far against Philly. They split their their six games with the San Francisco Giants. Those are the three teams directly behind them in the wild card chase. Uh, Andre, just how would you, when you look at that, obviously, 
again, that Braves team is going to be that team that ends up getting in the way probably at the end of the year. But just seeing what the Marlins have done so far through the break when, even again, we still, at the beginning of the year, we still said they are probably going to be fourth, maybe third in the division if they were able to keep up with Philly. To see what they've done so far, what stood out to you? Well, that Braves team, in fairness, is going to get in a lot of people's way at the end. I mean, the way they're stacked, um, I mean, it's a balanced team, pitching-wise, hitting-wise, and they're hot on top of it, and they've been hot the whole year. That's the impressive part with Atlanta is that they haven't slowed down. I mean, by now you would have figured they would have hit some kind of rough patch, and they haven't. But to me, they're the odds-on favorite right now. If you ask me who might win it all, oh, no they'd, have, they'd have to be it. So, I mean, it, putting it in the Marlins, uh, from the Marlins' point of view, to me, it's the next step in their evolution. And I mean, I think this was the year, and you and I did that that study a, a while back about, you know, rebuilds and looking at them. And I think COVID slowed down the process a little bit here, among a few other factors. But finally, the flip year that we were talking about mm -hmm. seems to finally be here. And it has been so far. And what I mean by that evolution is you've seen the team finally take the, leap, the, the big leap forward. Now the question is, can they sustain it? But obviously you've seen this team a lot more than I have, but, it, but I think I can give you the perspective from someone that is see, seeing them live a little bit less, but has watched them and whatnot. They impress me compared to teams I covered in the past because I think they have sustainable elements. You know, I mean, they may not have even now, maybe like the biggest name roster and to their, and I think the, but I think the biggest thing is, and I think the example of why that, it's more sustainable and, and remarkable what they're doing is they've lost two of their they well they lost one of their biggest names not once but twice in Jazz Chisholm he's not there and this is still happening Sandy Alcantara is starting to pitch better now but for the majority of the year was not not just not himself was down and and really subpar and still they're winning and the pitching has been good overall. The rotation, get the the leaps forward that some of these guys have taken. Now we're going to see if they can continue to do it in the second half. You know, Braxton Garrett adding that extra pitch. We saw how good he's been. Jesus Lazardo now is turning it on. Five straight starts that he's been lights out. You know, moments like Yuri Perez, we know the debut, had the one bad start. Now that they're trying to, you know, we always knew they were going to contain his inning some way, whether it was limiting pitch counts, whatever, or what they decided to do sending them down for a bit. But, I mean, all of that put together, plus the bullpen coming together more than it has been in recent years, plus the fact that they actually have been the most impressive. Well, and I'm saving the, the biggest standout to me for last, and that's this lineup, because for so many years, this lineup was not clutch. This year, for the most part, they are. And I know Luis Arias is the big name and well-deserved, for what he's doing, he, it's it's just on another level what he's been doing as far as the average and everything. But it goes beyond that because Soler being able to hit for power in big moments, I mean, you go up and down that lineup and, and, and guys are getting timely hits, which you were not seeing that before. And it's translating into like what I saw this past week. This team would not win. Forget about Atlanta for a second. A series like right now before the All-Star break, it's not everything, but let's take it as a little microcosm of what this team is right now. This is a fellow playoff contender, a division rival, a series that could mean something down the road, especially the last game before the All-Star break that could almost, you could almost feel like you want to just get it over with and get to the break. 
and this team takes two out of three, especially after they blew the first one, that didn't used to happen. And there's been several examples of that type of, you know, winning a series, let's say, or even sweeping a series, you know, and then and then everybody, you know, and then, yes, has the entire schedule been as daunting as before? No, I think it, it has to be said that the change in format has helped them not having to face the division over and over and over. But I, we said it a bunch of times off camera because I haven't been on the pod with you, but I, you know, there is a value in taking care of business. And that's another thing that this team didn't do. A lot of times we would look and say, Oh, okay. They've got that team's 20 under and that team's in last place. So now's the time they should rack up some wins. And then what would happen? They'd go three and five or whatever, you know, or three and six on the road trip or whatever. No, now, they're going seven and two or eight and one in a stretch like that. So anyway, not a, too much of a long-winded answer. I'll let you get, get back in here, but think those are the things that have stood out to me because those are the things that this team had not done for years, and now they're finally doing Yeah, and you hit on a couple of points I wanted to address also. Uh, starting with Jazz, you, he went down, again, I just think back to last year. They're in St. Louis, end of, Ju- end of June, beginning of July, and they're hovering around contention. They were, I think, a couple games out of the wild card spot. Jazz went down. Solaire went down. And at that point, we all knew the season was over. They didn't have the depth. They didn't have the, the, the pieces on the perimeter, on the, outs, on the margins of the roster to step up, replace them. And the offense went from being middle of the road, which, again, was all they needed last year with the pitching, to being one of the worst in baseball the rest of the year. This year, Jazz has gone down not once but twice, as you mentioned. He missed six weeks with turf toe. He missed 39 games. The Marlins went 26-13 and 13 in that stretch. Granted, schedule was not the toughest in that stretch, but I thought back to when he, got, he went down last year, and then they went and were facing Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, two teams who they should have been able to take care of easily and basically put themselves in contention to be buyers of the trade deadline and just couldn't handle it. This year... Yeah. Jonathan, they acquire Jonathan Davis. He steps up and goes from being a guy who was barely a fringe big leaguer during his career to becoming the Marlins' everyday center fielder for a month. Holds his own, does more than hold his own, and keeps the Marlins in contention until Jazz comes back. Jazz is back for a week. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say like that. I'm going to talk like the everyman at the sports bar that maybe doesn't follow as closely, but there's been times where, you know, because of our jobs, we follow it, and uh, you know, to an extent, and also because we're fans too. But uh, we're not fans, but like you know, we love baseball. But very easily, I've told you, probably ninety percent of Miami is going. Who the hell's Garrett Hampson? Mm. Who the hell's Dane Myers? Yep. Who the hell is um? You just said him right now. Um, hey, Jonathan Davis. Uh, Jonathan Davis. And those guys are getting hits. Those guys are winning yep. games. Yeah, they're the and, reason. And, and consistently, this kid's got four multi-hit games. Dane Myers has got four multi-hit games in what six games that he's six, played in six, including the first game was him coming in the fifth inning to replace yeah. Jonathan Davis when he got hurt. And what was one of the things I would always tell you about guys that they call up or whatever, whether they were prospects or not? You never see the like someone come up and light it on fire yeah. for like a week or two. Like, why does that happen to everyone else and not them? Exactly. It's yeah, happening to them finally. That was going to be my next point was every yeah. time it seems like the Marlins play someone and it's the random no-name guy who has the series of his life against the Marlins. Now the right. Marlins are getting that. And then you exactly. look at some of the guys who they knew were going to be on the roster but didn't know what the role was going to be. 
like Jesus Sanchez no. and Brian De La Cruz. Everyone thought, and the original idea was they were going to platoon in one of the corners. Um, mm -hmm. Garcia goes down, De La Cruz and Sanchez, basically that uh, daylight takes left, Sanchez takes right, and both of them have produced like the Marlins hoped they would in the best-case scenario. You look in the bullpen yeah. and see a guy like Andrew Nardi, who, who barely plays, he comes in last year, gets absolutely shelled, and next thing you know, he's been, again, he's not the big name, he's not the closer like A.J. Puck or Tanner Sky or Dylan Flora, but he is probably one of the reasons the bullpen's having as much success as it is. Because it's the, oh, we need a guy to throw an inning? Andrew, go in there. Oh, we have two guys on and one out, and we need to make sure both get stranded? Andrew, go in there. Oh, we need a guy to throw two innings? Andrew, go in there. Oh, our main guys are down? Andrew, go in there. And that's probably why he's on the IL right now at the end of the break, or at the end of going to the break with triceps inflammation. Wow. But yeah. yeah, and that's a whole, well, that's that the, is that's a whole other problem. Side. Yeah, that's that the is flip the, side. Is I, yeah, when we're talking about sustainability, yeah. you don't want to burn guys either. And that's a but, serious problem, but. But the thing is also, it's you look at these pieces, you look at these players, and it's again, you expected Luis Arias to to hit above 300. You probably didn't expect him to hit 385 going into the break, but right. you expected him to be the guy to go out there, get about a hit a game, have a have a multi hit game here and there. In a in the best picture scenario, you hope Solari Solari be hitting 20 home runs, but when you look at the end results of everything, this team going 21 and six in one run games. This team having 25 comeback wins after basically last year, as soon as they fell behind, you're like, okay, I can write my game story now. <laughs> to see this team where it's like they're in the seventh inning, they're in the eighth inning, they're down a run or two, and you're just thinking to yourself, what weird random way are they going to find a way to come back this time? And, and it's, yeah, yeah. And, and the flip side of that, and I can tell you from experience, I'm going to give a thank you note right now to them for not screwing me up on Sunday when it was up when it was five nothing. And all of a sudden, the Phillies get two. I had I, that didn't happen before, where I had this sense where, like, yes, I paused because you never know. But the back of my head was thinking, this still feels safe. This still feels safe. And you never had that before. You yeah. always thought uh, the other way around, like, oh crap, here we go. No, it was like they Philly. Philly I, I, like I was waiting for. I knew Philly had to do something tremendous. To get to for them to blow that because you felt a little safer than in years past seeing and what happened they got the stop and then again I go back to that lineup bam 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 get a couple insurance runs the things you just would not see this team do before and it's remarkable but going back to Arias I I we want to I know we have this sort of like mapped out for this show but bravo my friend uh, if you haven't seen it my friend here did a great job great in depth piece on Arias if you haven't checked it out it's on MiamiHerald.com. I suggest you take a look at it, you know, before you before you'd see him take some swings tomorrow in the All Star Game or on Tuesday, I should say. By the time you hear this, uh, Tuesday night, check this out, my man here. Talk to the legend, Doctor Rod Carew. That's another one that's up on MiamiHerald.com now. Yeah. That Q and A. How was yeah, that no, like? How, I know, I know. We I read the words, but how was that for you talking to you know a living legend like that? It was absolutely incredible, and again, it was a thing where it's just one of those. Those things where it's like, you know what? Well, I'm mapping out that feature, and it's like, okay, the guys I want to talk to, obviously, get a talk with the rise, talk with the Marlins side of it, and figure out other people around baseball. Basically, anytime he has a big game, try to figure out the opposing team's perspective. And then I just thought to myself, you know what? Let's take a shot in the dark here. Try to reach out to Rod Crew, see what happens. Yeah. I ended up getting in touch with his son via email, 
And he just goes, yeah, what time do you want to talk? And I'm immediately in my head going, wait, I'm actually going to talk to him? I'm actually going to talk to Rod Carew? And I know Andre can attest to this because I was basically texting him the updates as I was getting the, okay, yeah. I got confirmation, we're talking. Okay, oh, we're you doing it this time. And then, after, yeah. and then I asked him all of seven questions, first few about Arise himself, and then just talking about the science, the art of hitting, and just hearing a master just talk about the craft for and just being able to sit there and just soak it all in even just from listening to him over the phone was one of the most enriching moments of my young career covering the sport and as Andre can attest I was basically fanboying afterwards going oh my god that was the best interview ever yada 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 and again I did that interview about two weeks ago and I'm still like I'm still yeah. trying to figure out how that actually happened and just trying to soak in that moment yeah good man i was happy for you man you know like if, if he was still alive that's the kind of thing like i would be a dream of mine if i could have interviewed tony gwynn let's say yeah. you know i mean that guy was so freaking good i mean never hardly ever struck out you know such a class act player too like you hear about all the stories about him like that's the kind of that that's that level of you know great player that you were able to talk to and when you when you first told me you were going to try it and I know you're at like your doubts, like, is it going to happen? I was like, give it a shot. You know, you never know. And especially nowadays, you know, baseball writers are good helping each other out. You never know. You might. And so I'm glad, I'm glad it happened. And, and yeah, of course, that's a, and not just a cool story. You check it out, but cherished memory for sure. I mean, yeah. like I said, man, if like, you can get him, I'm like, you get a freaking, that's like a living legend, man. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And now uh, to move from the, what the Marlins have done segment of this episode of the podcast to, the what's ahead for the Marlins as they try to close out the season. Uh, 70 yep. games left. Uh, season will resume on Friday with the Marlins up in Baltimore. Three games there before going to St. Louis. And at this point, they need to take advantage of what they have left in July because August is going to be a doozy of a schedule. Just mm -hmm. the quick rundown. Four games at home against Philly. Then a road trip to Texas, the Texas Rangers and Cincinnati Reds, both leading their divisions. Home series against the New York Yankees and the Houston Astros. A road trip to the L.A. Dodgers and Padres. And then home series against the Nats and the Rays. Remove the Nats. Everybody else is in playoff position, winning records. That is going to be that stretch that really lets us know who these Miami Marlins are. Yes, they're well, 14 over 500 going in, but that's going to be a real test of a month there. Well, you said, you said take advantage of the rest of July, but remember the right out of the shoot, yeah. you got a three game series at Baltimore with, yes. who right now is uh, knocking on the door yeah. uh, of first place in that stack. Yeah. At least. But in that, but in that yeah. rest of July, you have Baltimore two games against Tampa. The rest is you have St. Louis. You have, I believe it's Detroit and Colorado or the other three series. In yeah. There. No, so, I, yeah, I, I so, get it, but I'm no, saying so I mean, that but nine still... of the four. You have nine of your fourteen before an entire month of winning of yeah. winning teams. And St. Louis at Bush Stadium can be pesky sometimes. Even even this year, that not you know that they're a little down. That team still has talent, and 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 you can't completely like you can't treat like the first half is no, etched in stone, and it's gonna it's gonna be a carbon copy. Of course not. Someone who has sucked in the first half is gonna get hot is going to get their beep together if you know what I'm talking about and there are there are more than there's more than one talented team 
that has too much talent to be as bad as they've been. They're out west in many cases. Mm-hmm. So don't be surprised if well, one of them is already getting getting it together. If and we've seen it. The team that's been to the World Series a few times in recent years. And but the other one, the under the constantly underachieving team could get hot. Heck, even Another team of the Marlins, I know they're they're they've fallen out of the standings, but if they 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 hit a little six game winning streak right before the break, there is the Mets, mm-hmm. and the Mets have also been a thorn to the Marlins too. Here's where the schedule comes in is beneficial because they don't have to play them as much down the stretch. Like Atlanta, there's only three more. I think the Mets, if I'm not mistaken, is six more. I think there's, or three more. It's two more, more series, but the thing is, again, that's where this schedule is so awkward. The Marlins face the Mets twice in their first three series and then yeah. face them twice of two of the final four series. Right. So the Marlins basically face them both at either end of the season. Beginning even without the, the head. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. But even without the head to head, like if these yeah. teams could get, they have to keep winning because these, these teams will get hot. There's, this is still, this is still very much a cluster of teams in, in, in the wildcard picture. The Miami may be two, what is it? Two and a half ahead of the, the precipice right now falling out of it. Correct. Yeah, they're either it's somewhere either somewhere between two to three games that's been hovering yeah. basically about that this entire yeah. time. So it's not, you know, it's not a to- like like in the American League, the Orioles. I think they're like five or six ahead, which is more of a cushion. It, it it's a good spot to be in, obviously, but it's not. You know, you can't fall asleep, and I think you know, like I asked uh, Skip Schumacher after the game, and he said it starts with pitching, and he's right because again, I'm going to go back to what we talked about with with the bullpen. You can't. They've been so good. They've been so unselfish and and patching together and 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 working so well in their roles and all of that. And that's great. But arm fatigue. You don't want to tax them too much, and that's where their rotation health is going to be so vital. Where if Sandy can continue to track upward the way he's been lately, that's a huge help. You know what yeah. I mean? And then if these guys, if Braxton can sustain it, let's see. That's a that's a let's see. Can Luzardo sustain it? Is Edward Cabrera going to come back and not fall back on the IL again? What the heck are they going to get out of Johnny Cueto, who's coming back right after the break? So all these are questions where that rotation has to carry, continue to carry them in order for them not to tax that pen so much because you know innings are adding up and you know stretch run. And I'm I'm, I'm curious to see. I, I really want to see how this team responds because already. They've achieved something this year. But if you had a second half collapse, it's going to really be sour and be like, oh, God, really? Like, after all that? You know what I mean? So I let, I want to see how this team, which is experienced in some spots, and, and Skip pointed that out. A lot of these guys are playoff tested, and that's going to be huge down the stretch. But they are still very untested and very young in other spots, too. So how do they handle it? Like you said, in August, against all those other contending teams, some of which – know what to expect some of which are kind of just like them because yes we we named the rangers in there but the rangers are very similar to the marlins the first time they've shot up and been good in a long time how does that team so anyway long story short i'm very curious to see how that mix does going into august maybe even in september i mean you know a solid real playoff team and i'm not counting 2020 i mean in in a in a in a real 162 we haven't seen this team go into September really, really in it in in some time. It's been a little bit, you know, because even in 16, like I told you, like they, they were in it deep into the summer, 
and then kind of faded there toward the end of August, early September before, unfortunately, what we all know happened, you know, but to really push where you're like the final two weeks of the season and you're holding one of those spots or maybe you're one out or one up, whatever. That's going to be interesting to see how they respond. And I'm also interested to see, since you're talking about how this team performs in August, I'm interested to see how the roster looks in August. Just remember, yeah, the trade trade deadline. we got yeah. the trade deadline August 1st, and sure. what the Marlins do at the deadline. Buyers. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what was the last time there were true buyers? Exactly. Yeah. Outside of 2020. Outside of right. when they went well, there. Yeah, to, right. Except yeah. For, yeah. yeah. Outside of that year where they traded from, acquired Marte at, the, Marte at the deadline, that was really the only time that, again, since in a while. And yeah. really, I guess, I just think, I guess, I guess I'm, this is finally like in the real season format yeah. for me now. So yeah, it's more of that. But you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, let's see, because you're right. They, they probably speaking of that bullpen depth and bullpen arsenal, they probably need one more in there somewhere. They probably I mean, it never hurts to have an extra bat in the lineup. Yeah. Yeah. No, especially with the bullpen, it would be ideal to get a righty because, again, all of their main guys, A.J. Puck, lefty, Tanner Scott, lefty. Uh, Andrew Nardi, when he's healthy, lefty. Stephen Okert, lefty. Four yeah. of their eight lefties. And look at who the righties are. Dylan Floro has more or less fallen out of favor. You've been seeing them go Scott Puck as the 8-9, and Okert's been getting a lot more of the high leverage. JT Chabagwa has been okay, but hasn't really been himself since coming back from injury. Waskar Brazoban has been up and down. And then yeah. their eighth guys are long man. So they really don't have any – unless Floro flips a switch in the second half, they don't have a true high-leverage righty in that pen right now. So yeah. that's really a priority to get there. And then, again, like we said. But the question is, what can they unload as far as prospects that's yeah. appealing enough, that's and appealing all, enough that you don't want to part with yeah, to get that righty pen guy, that uh, an experienced righty pen guy that's dependable for a playoff team? Yeah, And the other question is, who's actually selling? Because really the main teams who would be in contention are for selling – are in the central or in the central divisions, which really are wide open. So right. you don't really. There are a lot of teams who are still in that. I don't know where to go range, where yeah. which really only, things you, up. You can only pillage the Royals and the A's so much. So yeah, and is there anything <laughs> to pillage at this point? From and, and that's the problem. There, yeah. there, there isn't much. That's that's not a. <laughs> those yeah. are kind of wasteland teams right now, especially in Oakland. So yeah. So unless the White Sox decide, hey, yeah, we're not going to be in it or some other teams of that nature around those ranges, because, again, every team in the NL East, except for the Nationals, are in it. The Central, well, that's, you, that's, yeah. yeah, go ahead. That's a, no, no, I was just going to say that's the whole thing. There are teams right now that are probably like four or five under that this first week or so, right out of the shoot, they win six or seven in a row or something. Like we we're saying, somebody's, got, somebody's probably going to do that then that team will hang around and think they still can do something. But you're going to have a flip side. You're going to have other teams that will go from five under to like 10 under. And then that's who you look at and say, do they have anything that I want? So we'll see. And this is obviously assuming the Marlins don't have a seven-game skid right. of their own or something. You you know, knock on wood for their sake that that doesn't happen and they stay in it. So Yeah, no doubt about it. And then just to quickly wrap up this episode – uh, obviously, with the All-Star break going on, the MLB draft is also going on. Marlins have, through day two, 10 rounds in. Uh, first two picks, they took right-handed pitcher Noble Meyer, high school arm, the top uh, rated the top high school pitcher this draft cycle out of Jesuit High School in Portland, Oregon. 
Uh, I have a feature that'll be running on him later on this week. Uh, really good kid, really good family, uh, talking with his high school coach, hopefully in the next day or two. Uh, but he basically, long story short, uh, really burst onto the scene this past year. Uh, if you go back to his freshman year, he was barely throwing about 80, 81. And then summer after going into his sophomore year, Velo jumped up to 87, 88. Junior year jumped up to 92, 93. And then this year was hitting 97, 98, touching 100. Has a wipeout slider, goes on and has a changeup that he's working, a curveball he's developing. And the Marlins went with the thought process of, hey, yes, we know we need hitters, but we know how to develop pitchers. So if a if the top pitcher happens to fall to us, we're taking him. They did that with the first pick. They did that with their second pick, also taking another prep arm. And then they took college guys the rest of the way, a good mix between hitters and pitchers through day, the first two days of the draft. But again, the main piece from here is Noble Meyer. Gives them two Meyer, two Meyers among their pitcher prospects. As you all know, they drafted Max Meyer in 2020. Uh, no relation, according to Noble. Uh, right. But, I was going to say. Yeah, no, he made Noble Meyer made sure to bring it up himself because he actually, when the Marlins were scouting him, their thought process was if we're taking a high school pitcher at number 10, we really need to know who the guy is. So there's right. their area scout, uh, scout, Scott Fairbanks, went to every single one of Noble Meyer's starts, talked with him after every single one of his games, and basically built up that trust factor to that they needed in order to be able to pull the trigger on him. And it seems to have worked out. Noble actually brought up just the pitching depth that the Marlins have and the development that they've had, that they've done over the last few years, uh, just to talk about why he's glad that he's going to Miami because he saw, obviously, Sandy Alcantara, Yuri Perez, uh, Max Meyer when he was healthy. You have the guys waiting in the wing in Jake Eater. In Jake Eater, uh, you've got, you see what they've done with Braxton Gary and Trevor Rogers the last couple of years. He sees all that and goes, okay, what do I have to do to be the next one of them? He already right. is trying to pick some of their brains as it is. So you're seeing a guy who's 18 years old but already has the work ethic ready to go before he's even signed. So Young-looking kid, too. He looks like he's yeah. 15. I know. Six-foot-five, 5 15 year fifteen-year-old-looking guy. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, but, yeah, he brings the power, man. I mean, I, I think if he – continues to not to not only to develop that to that pitch but develop that secondary stuff you were talking about especially the slider that's going to be that's going to be a, a great tool for him but you know and you know there'll be spots you know whether it's you know in the minors or eventually when he gets uh, at some point he'll get into spring training where he'll get to work with mel and that to me pays huge dividends for all these all these pitchers the experience that, and the job that he's done in the past couple of years they're really shaping that pitching stuff so yep yep no doubt about it and that's going to do it for this week's episode of fish bites thanks so much again for everyone for tuning in uh we'll be back next week once they finish up that series in baltimore and we'll recap that and then preview what's going to be an emotional series for manager skip schumacher his first trip back to st louis since becoming manager he already faced them once down here in st louis down here in miami seeing the cardinals come in and just you were able a lot to of see, the, yeah. yeah, a lot of the ex Cardinals are going yeah. back. Yeah, again, you got him, you got John Jay, you've got a lot of guys on this club who have some ties to St. Louis. And Skip has already talked just about, just in general, about how much being part of the Cardinals, how much that has shaped his career from his time in the play as a player 
And then last John year, being Mabry a bench too. coach, John Mabry. And yeah, you just, you understand just listening to him talk about the Cardinals, about how much that shaped who he is and how he got to where he is and just his philosophy and his formula and his mentality when it comes to how he manages and a Cardinal way has paid off for him so far in his first year in Miami. And we'll see just what that the emotions will look like when he's out there basically this time next week. So with that, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks so much, everyone. And we'll be back next week.